1: Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Steve Fleck is one of the leading endurance sports race event live announcers and commentators in North America for cycling, running, track and field and triathlon races and events. It's a natural extension of life spent running, cycling and racing triathlon since his mid-teens and wearing multiple hats in and around the business of endurance sports and sales, business development, marketing and communications. He lives and plays outside in Aurora, Ontario with his wife, Paulina. Please welcome Steve Fleck. Steve Fleck, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. This is so exciting.
2: I'm super excited to be here. I've listened to many of your episodes in the past with uh, past guests. (laughs) Yes, I have. And uh, this is a really great uh, opportunity. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: I think we met on Twitter, I think. And I think I liked your stuff. And we kind of chatted here here and there because we have a lot of crossover in our lives between professional audio and announcing and sport and outdoor sport i feel like it was kind of like a really natural fit for us to chat
2: may i agree there's lots of overlap in terms of what our interests are both recreationally and professionally
1: i want to talk about you being an athlete i want to talk about your job i want to talk all those things but first of all you are coming like we're recording this a few days before ottawa race weekend because i'm in ottawa you're in aurora which is just outside of toronto kind of like near newmarket right just outside of toronto yeah yeah, you
2: got your geography right. Newmarket is uh, just north of Aurora, and so we are between Richmond Hill and Newmarket. That's where Aurora is.
1: Is there is there good nature there?
2: Good nature meaning is there like,
1: like good na- is there nature like is there a lot of nature options for you to go or yes. is it? <laughs> what is it's, the- no
2: no? Well, I, I think I know where you're going and it's very suburban so it is it is the outer gta you have to understand that it is the outer gta so it is very suburban but our micro location where we live in aurora we're extremely blessed if you look at where my street is i'm not going to mention it on the air but if you look at it we're almost completely surrounded by park and green space on on three sides so we love where we are my wife and i are both like super active in the local community, riding, cycling, et cetera, et cetera. So we love the our micro location in, in Aurora. There's other places in Aurora that aren't as blessed as where we are.
1: You're coming to Ottawa Race Weekend. You said you're taking the train. I'm sure coming back to events post-COVID has probably been really nice for you. But uh, why do you choose the train versus driving versus, because uh, you know, you're always traveling for what you do. Why train for this one versus flying versus driving?
2: Well, there is a COVID connection. So during uh, during COVID, uh, during all the cancellations and postponements, uh, I lost uh, abruptly nearly two years of work and income, just got vaporized in March of 2020. It was kind of a slow descent to that that place, but I realized at some point, probably about June of that year of 2020, that, that a significant amount of work and income was going to be going away for me. So we had to both my wife and I, and she lost some income too, we had to quickly, you know, go into a mode where we had to start to cut back on, on household expenses. We wanted to keep doing what we were doing. People that are self-employed were, were can-do kind of people and what we wanted to do was keep everything going. And one of the things we did was jettison a car. We were a two-person, two-car ha- two household and we got rid of a car. So that eliminated, you know, an expense. And then when the pandemic Receded, and work came back for me as you had you had mentioned. we saw no need to getting that second car back. We got rid of it for a cost saving you know measure, but there's no need to have that second car. so we've been you know doing without you know that second car. Normally, I would have just driven to Ottawa, and I have many times in the past for work and personal activities in the nation's capital but i I now take the train. I could fly, but it's it's just a lot of work to, you know, to for a 45-minute flight. The train is actually quite pleasant. Uh, I take the GO train down from Aurora. Uh, it's about 50 minutes to get to Union Station, and then I make my connection with VIA and 4 hours later I'm in, in in Ottawa.
1: Well, I thought it was an important question. I'm glad that you brought it you answered that way because it's you know, mostly I just talk about nature on this podcast, but I don't talk a lot about kind of my history. And it reminded me, you know, I got laid off in the middle of pandemic from radio and ended up starting my own company. And let's take this outside as part of that. But, you know, when you lose your your income, um, I look back and realize how fortunate I am, how privileged I am that I bought my bike and I had my skis before I lost my job. Because, you know, other than some maintenance and stuff, generally speaking, you can just go out and enjoy those things, right? I'm sure maybe, you know, you, you got rid of one of your cars, but I'm assuming you looked at like your bike and your skis and your and all your gear and you're like, "Oh, thank God I still had those things to be able to, you know, blow off some steam."
2: 100% and and you know, riding didn't stop during the pandemic. Skiing didn't stop during the pandemic. Walks in the park didn't stop in the pandemic. Those just kept on. In fact, I I cycled more in 2020 and 2021 than I had since I was you know a professional triathlete year a long time ago and it was it was great so there was a huge you know upside i enjoy cycling immensely and and i had the time to do that so there was no restrictions on riding so i just got out and rode as much as i could every day that was good for riding same with skiing cross country skiing we put in huge amount of uh cross country skiing the two winters during the peak of the, the shutdowns and the pandemic, Alpine ski areas in Ontario were shut down. The Nordic skiing areas stayed open. Granted, we had to ski from the car. You weren't allowed to go into the chalet. So we just drove up to Hardwood Hills, which is our nearest place. It's an hour away. And we just park in the parking lot, ski whatever we ski, get back in the car and come home. But it never stopped, which is, to your point, we're really grateful that you know we had those activities to do. I know for a lot of people, it was new to them and, you know, they bought a bike, they bought skis, they, they bought, you know, hiking equipment or or whatever it is. And there was massive, you know, shortages in the retail market for, for all of those goods, you know, during those, during those times. But for, for us, it just, it just carried on. It's always been a natural extension of uh, what we do.
1: I'm a little bit selfish, but I always go on a love fest about Ottawa and how much I love it here and how accessible the outdoors is for people. How do you feel as someone who is from the Toronto area, how do you feel coming to Ottawa? Like, do you like coming to Ottawa Race Weekend? Do you like events here? What do you think of our area? A lot of questions.
2: I love Ottawa. There's probably only two other larger communities outside of the GTA in Ontario that I would would move to, that my wife and I would move to our first choice probably would be ottawa and the second choice would be guelph i went to the university of guelph so it's more a familiarity with with guelph now guelph has changed a lot since uh, i was there at the university of guelph in the 1980s it's grown sort of massively but it's still relatively close to the gta and you know for business purposes you you still have that uh, connection you can get a go train from you know guelph to to union station so it would be a little bit like you know living you know in aurora but Ottawa is a big, would be a big break. But the thing I love about Ottawa is the the outdoor sport culture, like in in Ottawa, the access to Gatineau Park, the the trail network that's that's in Ottawa, the cycling culture that's that's there, be it the utilitarian you know cyclists or the more serious you know cycling that goes on. That's that's a huge you know attraction. And then the cross country skiing in the winter. I mean, Gatineau Park is Probably one of the top Nord- Nordic skiing areas in North America.
1: Well, thank you for saying. That. Like, that's the thing is, it's nice to hear that because I'm I'm very biased. But uh, it's funny because it took me a while to realize where you were from because again, we've been following each other on Twitter. But I'm like, he would perfectly fit in with the Ottawa Gatineau community. <laughs> like, you would just slide right in, join one of the, like the groups. Like, I could see you and you and your wife just uh, sliding in and sleep seamlessly.
2: Oh, we, we we would love it. I mean, I don't think we would like the longer winter per se, but, you know, the upside is you would get more skiing. I mean, uh, we were done with skiing and I would still see pictures of you or or others on, on social media still skiing probably three or four weeks after we were, you know, done, done with it here in Southern Ontario.
1: Let's, I want to start from the beginning. You have been an, a lifelong athlete. Can you take me back to some of your earliest memories and what that looked like for you?
2: Ironically, one of the men that uh, was most influential for me back in my early days uh, passed away this week, and I'd be remiss if I didn't you know, mention him. Paul Post, the longtime coach for the Toronto Olympic Club. I believe he was one of the founders of the Olympic Club. Paul passed away uh, earlier this week. He was 98 years old. Uh, he was highly influential for me. I got into distance running as part of the Toronto Olympic Club junior program when I was 14 or 15. Ran with the club for for five years. Uh, performed, you know, moderately well as a, as a middle distance and long distance runner through high school, early years of of university, and then I discovered triathlon. I was one of the early people in on the that first wave of triathlon in the 1980s. Um, I may have competed. There's some discussion or debate about this. I may have competed in what was the first triathlon in Ontario, maybe all of Canada in 1981, Uh, I was completely smitten and bitten by the bug. A lot of it was the newness of it all. I I loved the fact that it was new, it was different. It was also really good for runners. If you were a strong runner, you tended to do really well. And Cycling, I was okay at, but I adapted to cycling really well. I I became a a pretty good cyclist in the context of triathlon. Swimming was a bit more bit more of a (laughs) a bit more of a challenge but uh i got there and and i that was a lot of fun that was back in the days when you know in triathlon we literally had no idea what we were doing like every day was an experiment every training session was an experiment we 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 swam with the swim clubs we we rode with the the road cycling clubs we ran with the running clubs and we kind of bolted it you know all together there was no you know training plan for triathlon there were no coaches so we were literally making it up as you know we went along and it was just so fresh and new and I looking back I'm just extraordinarily grateful that you know I had that opportunity and in those you know early days to be you know part of that so competed at at a fairly you know high level we didn't even have a national team sort of back then and I had sort of transitioned to longer distance triathlon racing Ironman distance racing towards the end of that. So now we're into the 1990s and qualified for the Ironman World Championships a few times that I I competed in Kona at the Ironman World Championships. And then, you know, work responsibilities, family responsibilities started to pile up. And I just, I sort of stepped cold turkey away from triathlon in 1997, Uh, sort of stayed with running um, for a few years because you can be, fit on four or five hours a week and still run it at a sort of subnational level, you know, as a runner. So did that and then got fully into the road, you know, the road cycling. And now that's that's all I do. So road cycling recreationally, but at a very high recreational level in the summers and then cross country skiing uh, in in the wintertime. And I don't I don't pin a bib number on you know, these days, unless it's something truly extraordinary. I mean, you know, I, I'm at so many races and events. I'm, I'm literally at a racer event 35 weekends a year. So, you know, when I get a weekend off, it's like, I, I just like going riding with my wife or, you know, riding with friends. I, I, I don't want to go to a, with all due respect, like, you know, pin a bib number on and go to a bike race or a cross country ski race that I, I do it recreationally, but it's, people would view it as a, I would think as a very high sort of recreational level.
1: Yeah. It'd be, it's almost like too close, too close to home to be like, yeah, it's like, no, I want to separate my work and my, in my personal life. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and my wife and I, it's a thing, it's one of several things we share and nothing gives me greater fulfillment than, you know, going out for, you know, a hundred, you know, kilometer ride with her. We'll stop at a coffee shop or we'll, we'll meet up with friends and we'll, we'll ride with them. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's, that's a, you know, when I have a weekend off, that's what I, you know, tend to prefer to do.
1: I You can already answer the question. I want to know what your active life looked like now. So biking mainly, um, cross country skiing. So you're still, are you still running? Like what else, is there anything else you do? Like, what are you, what are you doing?
2: no. The running kind of fell by the wayside in the early 2000s just like little niggling injuries started to to creep up. I have uh, I have a herniated disc in my back I'd say around 2002, 2003, sometimes somewhere in that area and I haven't really run much since then. Although I truly miss it. I miss particularly um Marianne when I'm when I'm traveling and you know the type of travel I do it's often, you know, I fly into a place to announce or do some commentary work. And I'm on the ground for 48 hours. Like, that's it. You fly in. I'm not going to bring the bike, you know, pack the bike along with me for literally like a one hour bike ride. So I kind of miss the running because, you know, when I traveled previously, you know, for work like that, running was great. You could do some great exploratory stuff, you know, with an hour run in a strange place that you've never been to and you might never be again so it's it's really special to get out for that run so walking has to suffice now for when i'm
1: walking's great it's so underrated walking's great it is
2: underrated but you can't cover as much ground walking so that's the one thing and if you're used to covering that kind of ground physically running walking always se- or or cycling walking always seems that much more to use the walking term pedestrian and you just don't you don't cover as much uh geography physically so you don't feel like you're seeing as much. But I I, but I do miss that. I miss the ability to go running when I'm in those uh places for work.
1: Do you think it's important to be an athlete and do what you do?
2: Yes and no. I've I think it helps to be an athlete, to have my background, because you've you have the lived experience. I, I never competed at the international level. I, I never competed at a world championships representing Canada or an Olympic games. I was just, you know, a few steps, you know, below that level in, in running in triathlon, you know, and, and in cycling. So, but I, but I know what it's all about. I, I, I know what the physical demands are, you know, of, of the sports. Um, I have followed them closely as a fan, you know, for many years. So know the nuances of, of, of cycling competition uh, for example which can be incredibly nuanced it's 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 often not about who gets his wheel across the finish line first or you know the woman that wins the race might not be the hero of the race and th- this is hard for you know people to understand but you need to know those nuances you know in in a sport like cycling so having that background is helpful but i've also worked alongside some great commentators, uh, and announcers who, who've never been participants in the activities that they are actually commentating or announcing on. And that's fine. They have great voices. They spend a considerable amount of time in preparation beforehand so that they, they've done their research. They've done their study. They've, they've covered all the notes and they know as much and they may de- be more dependent on me who might be alongside them as the expert commentator to to have all that lived experience, you know, anecdotes that, that adds to that color and the enriching delivery that, that is great sports presentation.
1: Do you remember the first event you ever announced at and was that the intention to make it a, um, a job for you or uh, was it something that was a one-off and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this.
2: So I started doing this professionally, like full time in around about 2013 and 2014, but I had been doing it on the side informally for quite some time. So Steve King, the legendary announcer at, at, at Ironman Canada back around, around 2000. So I, I was I had raced at Ironman Canada myself as an athlete six times. My wife had raced there a number of times as well. She finished second in 2008. So we were like, we were kind of regulars, you know, at, in Penticton at uh, Ironman Canada. And Steve asked me, approached me one time. He just asked, I need some extra help, you know, announcing at the finish line. Are you interested? And I said, I have nothing else to do on race day. You know, why not? So I helped out Steve that year and sort of learned the ropes working alongside one of the true pros, you know, of the craft, you know, from those, you know, early days. And it was a a phenomenal experience working, working with Steve. And I was also thrust into the limelight uh, very quickly. That was early days with um, uh, mobile microphones. And so... We were given them by the sound, uh, the PA company that was supplying the sound. And so Steve said to me, you go down and you interview the winners uh, when they come in and across, you know, the finish line. So the men's winner that year was Peter Reed, three-time Ironman world champion, winner at uh, Ironman Canada a number of times. And I knew Peter. I mean, Peter was sort of a, you know, a friend and acquaintance of mine through the sport of triathlon. So there I am at the finish line I'm I'm, you know, got a microphone in my hand and I'm I'm interviewing like Peter Reed at, at at the finish line, and you know, everyone thought it was amazing and and great. And I did uh you know, a phenomenal job at it. No training. I mean, there's no school you go to for this. And so so you know, Steve was a real important sort of catalyst in terms of you know getting me into this. He's been a phenomenal friend and a great mentor, you know, through all through all of this. But I, I'm forever grateful for him for you know making that ask of me you know, to give it a go a few years, a number of years ago. So I just sort of did that on the side for a number of years. And then in 2014, I was abruptly let go from my last sort of full-time job. And another business mentor of mine suggested to me, hey, you should really like blow up this announcing work that you're doing because you're really, really good at it. And and again, this was another one of these amazing moments in in my life, Marianne, that you, you're looking back and you're going, wow, I'm just so grateful that this happened. I mean, not only did this man suggest this, he also sort of helped me up because I I'd always been an employee. And so going out on your own and doing something on your own for yourself was, was a foreign, a completely foreign you know, thing to me. I just like every, every everyone in my family, you know, is an employee and there's teachers and guaranteed pensions and all this kind of stuff. And so, but he said, Steve, I want you to do this and I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a part-time job and some guaranteed money for six months. And, and unless I had that, unless, unless I had that, um, and it was okay money. Like it was, you know, it was money that I could live off of for six months. If, if this whole announcing and commentary thing fell flat on its face. Um, so I was extraordinarily grateful for that. I plunged in and I had a whole bunch of work sort of booked up for that, that first year. That, that kind of made it viable. So, you know, that from that point on, I, I was kind of all in on the, the announcing and the commentary work.
1: That's so inspiring. And I relate to that story so much.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.
1: Let's take this outside now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at letstakethisoutside.ca. What does your life look like right now as a live announcer and commentator? So you're coming to, you know, auto race weekend this weekend. You know, you're doing road races. You're doing cycling. You're doing indoor track cycling too, right? Like what kind of stuff are you commentating? Um, and maybe what I'm going to ask you to play favorites. Maybe what's your favorite?
2: To bring you up to present, I'll go backwards a bit. So I started off doing this in triathlon. So initially it was just, you know, that's my sport. I'm well known in the triathlon community. Uh, but the problem with, in Canada anyways is the triathlon world is quite small. The triathlon world is quite small, you know, as from a business perspective, even, even worldwide. I mean, it's dwarfed by cycling and and running. So I looked at that and I said, well, I can't make a living off of just announcing at triathlon races and events that's just not going to work. So I quickly, you know, branched out and again I'm uh, very fortuitous, lucky, grateful that I I'm a triathlete. I don't just know triathlon because you're a triathlete, you know cycling, you know running. So so I started, you know, reaching out to running races, I started reaching out to cycling events and was getting work announcing at them as well. So one of the things I've really prided myself on is my versatility. There's peers of mine and colleagues of mine in the U.S. that because they work in a bigger market in cycling or in running, that they can exclusively focus, you know, on running or cycling. If, if I'm just working in Canada, I can't do that. So, if, But if you bolt together triathlon, cycling, and running for me in, in Canada, it's a viable, it's a viable business. The real upside is it spilled over to a decent amount of, of announcing and commentary work for me in the U.S. as well. So the, the upside is is significant. That versatility last year led me to announcing at nine different national championships in the U.S. and uh, Canada. And, uh, and this is something I'm extraordinarily proud of. I mean, I, I covered off National championships in let me get this straight so track cycling, road cycling, gravel cycling, track and field, cross country, and road running and triathlon. so nine national championships this year I think I'll do ten um, if I if we get to the end of the year I will have announced or commentated at ten national championships in in Canada and the us so the repertoire is probably wider than most people do. And uh it really started because my market in Canada was so small and I needed to to branch out. But the beneficiary of this is has been me selfishly in that my market is now, you know, that much you know that much uh bigger. I believe you also asked me what I like best of the- yeah. It's, it's really, it's hard. It's hard for me to answer. Cause I'm such a, uh, a fan and a geek, you know, of all, all of them, you know, triathlon cycling and, and running. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I love probably cycling is, is the most because we've already talked about that. I love all the, the stories within the story, you know, at, 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 at a, at a bike race, it, it may not be about who wins the race, you know, at the, the grand tours, the stage races, you've got all the different jerseys and the team competitions and stuff like that going on. And the uh, the stories just go on, you know, forever. And it, it often takes a lot to describe to the the average person, you know, what it all means. Um, I think that's one of the, the things that makes cycling probably attractive to, you know, super hardcore fans like myself, but it also it can be confusing for for average folk as well. But that's where a good commentator or announcer can come in and, you know, try and explain those stories to people.
1: You know, you're trying to answer that question of your favorite sport, but is there one that is maybe most, I guess say, is it still cycling the most thrilling for you? The most, the one that you get most into?
2: The track cycling is pretty special. I mean, the the competition, the the, the tightness of the racing, the fact that it's happening right in front of you, uh, the fact that they're you know can be traveling 75 kilometers an hour, you know, as they head towards the finish line. I would say track cycling, if there's a single sort of subdiscipline, is maybe the most exciting to call. I mean, I there was a finish at the Canadian track cycling championships back last fall where it was two one thousandths of a second between first and second in the men's kieran uh race and the defending champion nick Wamas lost by two one thousandths of a second so when they're coming across the line visually you can't see that so i you know, i it was high drama the final lap of the track you know these two riders literally shoulder to shoulder elbow to elbow handlebar to handlebar all the way to the line and then you know, you your human eye can't see two thousandths of a second. And we had to wait until the rendering of the photo finish uh, and then deciding by the photo who won. But we actually could. You could see on the photo finish, and I know we're audio here, we're not visual, but you could see that it was literally a couple of millimeters, the difference between the front wheel of the winner and the second place rider. That's what two one thousandths of a second looks like. So. You wish that every race was like that, but they're not, <laughs> they're not, but you get a lot of those in, in,
1: in, track cycling. Have you ever got something wrong and then had. <laughs>
2: oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. There's, there's times when you, you get things wrong, you get things wrong in commentary and, you know, people are on your back on Twitter or social media. You're calling, you're calling a rider wrong. I think I did that at least once, you know, when I just last week, I, for flow bikes. I was doing the commentary for the uh, Vuelta Burgos uh, Feminas. It's a four day women's world tour stage race in Burgos, Spain. Uh, I wasn't in Spain. I would have been like to in in Burgos. It's a beautiful area, but I was doing it from the confines of my home studio remotely for, for flow bikes. But I, there was one stage where we had a very close finish and I wasn't a hundred percent sure who was second. I knew the rider that won, Lorena Libas won, but I made a missed call on the rider who finished, uh, second was, so I had to wait till the data came up, uh, to, to verify that. So yeah, you make mistakes like this. Yeah. You make mistakes like this, uh, from, from time to time, people do get on your back, you know, about it. Uh, and, but you know, there's not much you can do in the moment, in, in the heat of the moment, in the flow of the moment. You know, when you're wrong like that, you just have to sort of accept it. You, you try to do your best going in by doing your research. But that's the other amazing thing about our sport, our sports, whether it's running, cycling or triathlon, is the athletes are are, are telling the story out there. We, we can make all the prognostications and predictions we can beforehand. Lorena Vibas, uh, 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 she's Dutch. Uh, she rides for the SD works team was the clear favorite, you know, for that stage. So I was right on that call. I knew it was Webus who was charging, you know, for the line, but I didn't know sometimes the other riders, we, we don't know who they are and you can't be a hundred percent right. Sort of all the time with that. Um, The other time that's unfortunate, you know, is, is sometimes with live announcing at at large, um, you know, marathons, you know that type type of thing. Like maybe in, in in Ottawa, we're getting incorrect data. You know from you know from from the course. You know from the the timing and results company, which from time to time does happen. This technology has evolved and gotten better and better over the course of time. But if if the data is wrong, and that's all we have to go on, I I mean that's all we have to go on. And we could make some blind, you know, pull a name out of a, a hat sort of prediction that who that person is, but sometimes we have to sort of, you know, go with, with the data. Cause that's the only known thing that's out there, but even that can be wrong occasionally. And, but again, it's, it's in the flow and the heat of the moment. So you, you kind of just, just go with it at the time.
1: You were just mentioning athletes and I think you above anyone would know this question. What athletes, let's specifically say Canadian, should we be on the lookout for? I know that it's Derek G, right? It's Derek G. Um, Is that Ruby West's partner? Yeah, because I've interviewed Ruby uh, really early in this podcast and she was talking about how she trained with her partner and her boyfriend and Europe. And I just thought it was really cool that this guy is is killing it.
2: So Derek is uh, just a For the people listening in, Derek is having a phenomenal debut in a Grand Tour. He's never done a Grand Tour. So the three Grand Tours in professional cycling are the Tour de France, which is probably the most popular. Everyone has, even people outside of, you know, cycling know about the Tour de France. The other two are the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta a España. So it's the Tour of Spain and the Tour of Italy. The Giro and the Vuelta for pure cycling fans are actually better races. They they tend to be crazier and wilder with more demanding stages. The weather in Italy uh, for the Giro, the first two weeks of the Giro, has been absolutely horrendous. They had to cancel uh, portions of some of the stages because it was snowing, like at higher elevations in in the mountains in the Dolomites. Um, it can be just crazy, crazy racing. So fans of of cycling really know that the Giro and the Vuelta are where you watch if you're a, if you're a real fan. The Tour de France everyone watches that. But for Derek, this is his debut in a Grand Tour. It's his first year as a as a full-on pro with a contract with the Israel startup uh, Premier Tech uh, team which is based in Israel, but there's a huge amount of Canadian involvement in the team from the ownership perspective, uh the management perspective and then riders Riders on the team, Michael Woods, who's from from Ottawa, uh, rides for uh, uh, Israel uh, Premier Tech uh, as well. So, but for Derek, I, I mean, this has just been a phenomenal, you know, two weeks, and we still have a couple stages to go. Uh, he's been second uh, several times. I think three times. He's been second three times. Uh, one time in in a true photo uh, finish. He just he just missed the win. Uh, he's currently sitting second in the points competition you know at the at this year he won't win it he doesn't have a chance of winning it but he sits second in the points competition but all of the the commentators have been you know go, going on and on about who is this guy who is this Derek G guy from you know from from Canada and it's been a phenomenal you know breakout story for him it's not an overnight success he's been riding for you know at the, at, at a high level for you know seven or eight years but this is his first year re- uh, racing professionally, you know, at this level at the world tour level, you know, in Europe and his debut in, in, in a grand tour, this will, this will really elevate his, his profile, you know, as, as, as a cyclist, it's, it's a sport often where if you have a tour, a grand tour, like he's had, um, he will, he will be getting offers from, from other teams, but probably before the end before the end of uh, the year is up. I don't know what his contract is exactly with Israel uh, Premier Tech, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to get offers from other teams because he's he's exhibited the kind of fitness, the kind of form that another team would want, maybe not to be their lead rider, but to be what they call in, in cycling a domestique. So to be a helper for another leader. Like I could see him coming back and maybe not the Tour de France. It's a hard double to do, but in years past, Mike Woods has targeted the Vuelta uh, in, it runs in September. So late August into September. So Mike Woods, you know, he might contest the, the Vuelta overall. It's a much better race for Mike Woods for uh, GC or general classification, you know, overall. So Derek might, you know, be assigned to that team to help Mike Woods win the, the Vuelta, you know, overall. So that would, that would be phenomenal. I mean, if, uh you know, only one Canadian, to the best of my knowledge, has ever won uh, a Grand Tour. And that's Ryder Hesedal, who won the Giro d'Italia back uh, about 10, 10 plus years ago.
1: I uh, Sorry, I kind of put words in your mouth with Derek. I assumed you might have <laughs> said him anyway. But is there any other Canadians, uh, maybe in another sport or female, that you can think of that's really kind of blowing up right now?
2: Well, we're going to be we're going to be seeing two of them uh, this weekend in in Ottawa, and I'm going to have the pleasure of interviewing them at the press conference on on Friday. That's uh, the great Mo Ahmed. Um, he holds the Canadian five thousand and ten thousand meter records, silver medal in the five thousand at uh, the Tokyo Olympic Games, and Cam Levins, who uh, holds currently the Canadian half marathon and marathon uh, records. That's going to be a great clash on the roads. Mo making his debut. On the roads, he's never run a a road race before. Only on the track, and and a bit of cross country when he was uh, in college uh, on scholarship at the University of Wisconsin. Back when he was uh, at that age, so this will be an interesting clash. Those two have really taken, you know, men's distance running in Canada to the next level. I I, I can't. The average person, I don't think, understands how competitive distance running distance running is. Um, You know, there's countries like. I know there's lots of talk about drugs and doping and whatnot, but I'm I'm going to put that aside for the time being. But, but you know, countries like Kenya, they'll have 200 runners in Kenya alone that'll run faster than the fastest Canadian, you know, will. So j- just to put that into perspective, like, like in a given year. So for someone, you know, like Mo Ahmed to finish second, and he's consistently been in the top five, 10, the last two Olympics and several world championship cycles in the 5,000 and the 10,000 meters. So to finish second, like in the 5,000 meters, like that's one of the best, you know, Canadian sports performances, like for sure in that given calendar year, but running doesn't get the sort of the street cred, you know, in, in Canada, you know, like, like other sports do. So it, it's a bit diminished and, and I'm perhaps a bit, you know, biased. And Cam as well in the marathon. I mean, he, he's broken the Canadian, you know, marathon record twice. He's lowered it by, I think, four minutes now. Uh, he was fourth, you know, at the World Championships in Eugene in the marathon uh, last summer at the World Athletics uh, World Championships. So, so those two, you know, in particular, you know, for me, for the sports that I really cover, those are, you know, big, you know, you know, breakthroughs. The Derek G thing is a different kind of breakthrough. That, that, that's a young athlete kind of breaking through. Both Mo and, and Cam are more towards the end of their their careers. And, and to see them, you know, elevate their performances to the levels that they have is extraordinary. When I think running in Canada for the women, what, what I like what's going on is Canadian women's running from the 800 to the marathon has never been deeper and more competitive. It unfortunately it's not yielded any medals, you know, at the Olympic Games or the World Championships. But it's a real battle to get one of those three spots, like on that national team to go to the Olympics now, the last uh two Olympics and then the last couple of world championships, to get the standard, to get the world athletic standard, uh, and then get one of those three spots on that team in the eight hundred through to the marathon has been a battle. And and that's that's great to see. I, I don't think Canadian women's running middle distance and long distance running has ever been deeper or more competitive. And it is going to, it is going to lead to medals. Like we, we will get there. You need to have that sort of base of phenomenal performance to elevate, you know, one sort of superstar, like a Mo Ahmed to, you know, silver level status like he did in Tokyo in in 2021.
1: Steve, I, uh, I have one more question for you, but you reek of passion. And I know people are going to love this interview. And I really appreciate this so much. Not even just, you know, from the the standpoint of you announcing in your job, but also what you've built. Like my, you know, my entrepreneur side is really appreciative of that and hearing that side of your story. So thank you for sharing. Um, but do you have a dream event that you like to be a part of?
2: Well, that might be coming up this uh, this August. So some news came to me personally uh, just uh, a month or so ago. The UCI uh, chose me to be part of the live announcing uh, team for track cycling for the UCI, uh, what they're calling a Super World Cycling Championship. So starting this year, 2023, every four years, the UCI is going to combine all the cycling disciplines with the exception of cyclocross into one super world championship. So track cycling, road cycling, mountain biking, BMX, some other um, smaller uh, disciplines within cycling, the world championships will take place uh, in Glasgow and Edinburgh this August. This will be the highest level of work and sort of prestige, you know, of live announcing that, that I've done. So I'm incredibly uh, humbled and honored to sort of, you know, have the opportunity. There's been many people that have helped along the way. Literally every race director, every event organizer that I've worked with has been helpful in terms of me honing my craft, getting to where I am uh, to get to that to that opportunity. So that's to come. But going backwards, really, I think the catalytic event for this, and often an event I, I cite as being, you know, extraordinary to me was when I announced at the Paratrack Cycling World Championships that we held uh, here in Canada at the Milton Velodrome, the Matami National Cycling Centre, in 2020, just before the pandemic started. I, I think it was in February at some point in time and that year. And and I was asked by Cycling Canada to host the, the live announcing in the building, you know, for that. And I saw things, at, you know, that three days that I did for that. that are just absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's hard to describe, you know, to see athletes compete at this level who, you know, don't have an arm or don't have a leg or uh, have some, um, like a cerebral palsy, you know, type of, you know, nerve, you know, pro- problem. They're walking to the bike with a walker or being helped to the bike And then they're on the bike and they're, they're competing, you know, on the track. There's some, I I was told afterwards that there's something in the brain when you're riding a bike that fires up neurons and parts of the brain that when you have something like cerebral palsy or some or things, a disability like that, the bike does something in in the brain. And so to witness that firsthand uh, is, is just, you know, extraordinary. I mean, I, some of the times I, I nearly had tears in my eyes, you know, watching watching them compete, doing the things you know that they do, and I'm I'm super pleased that in Glasgow this uh, this summer in August it will be combined. It'll be Para and able-bodied track cycling world championships together. So this will be the second time uh, that I've been able to announce uh, the Para uh, the Para competition, and I'm I'm really looking you know forward to that.
1: Thank you for representing Canada so well in these things. And thank you for sharing your story. And because I'm, I'm volunteering on Friday for a little bit. What time are you going to be there?
2: I'm not sure. I think the press conference is at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um,
1: I'm there from 12 to four at a booth. So maybe I'll see, I'll try to find you. At
2: Lansdowne Place in the, in the horticultural building. That's where the press conference will be. I'm, I think it's at 2, 2.30. So I am running the Q&A. Top competitors in the marathon is one press conference session we're doing. And then we're doing a separate one for the 10 K road championships. And the feature of that will be the, you know, the clash between Mohamed and, and, and Cam Levins. We do have some great women uh, that are running and, and I, and I feel remiss and I, I talked about the women, the depth of the women's competition. Melinda Elmore is running the marathon and that, and that's great. And Natasha Wodak is running the 10 K on, on, the road. She's a defending champion and uh, an Olympian and the current record holder for the women in the marathon. So there's some talented women, Canadian women taking place uh, as well. It's not just the Mo and the Cam show and the in the 10k road championships.
1: Steve Fleck, thank you for joining me and I came to see you this weekend.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, a,
1: an immense pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to let's take this outside.ca.
0: Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.